Jesus says, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in the name that you had given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I sanctify myself, so that they may be also sanctified in the truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, the original disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you're seated, we invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. Let's bow together and pray. As the children leave the room, O God, may the childlike wonder and trust remain with us that we not be so much up in our heads, but find that deep heart connection that you desire with all of your children. Thank you for the high honor of this time, this occasion to gather with sisters and brothers in faith and to think about things of faith that will help us be the men and women, the boys and girls that you're calling us to be this day. We gather in this particular space, in this particular corner, with these particular rituals in our particular language, but we realize, oh God, you are big and vast and more beautiful than we can ever imagine. And so we join with others around the globe and in all time and space who have been echoing the words that Jesus taught his first disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
if religion and spirituality were only about getting to heaven when you die, then really it would seem to me that our need to get together on a weekly basis would be unnecessary, really. And I don't want anyone to say amen when I say it, suggest that. But rather, we could just treat uh, believing as kind of like an immunization shot. We could go get our vaccination and pretty much be done with it. Maybe we show up at Easter or Christmas and get sort of a booster shot. But other than that, we'd be done if religion and spirituality were only about the afterlife. But we've grown to see that this thing we do, this faith that we live, is not only about life after death, but rather it's about life, our life. Our life when we're not here in church on Sunday morning, when we're called not only to do right, but to do it well, to do it uh, wholly and fully, to become the people that we were created to be. I don't need to tell you, this is a difficult task. There aren't many... Uh, clear, unequivocal guidelines for this work. It, 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 life happens very quickly. You don't get to practice. I, I found a poem this week called Life While You Wait. Performance, it says, without rehearsal. I know nothing of the role I play. I only know it's mine, this role. I can't exchange it. I have to guess on the spot just what this play is all about. Ill-prepared for the privilege of living, I can barely keep up with the pace that the action demands. Words and impulses you can't take back, stars you'll never count, your character like a raincoat you button on the run. The pitiful result of all of this unexpectedness. If I could only rehearse one Wednesday in advance... Or repeat a single Thursday that has passed. But here comes Friday with a script I haven't seen. You'd be wrong, says the writer, to think that it's just a slapdash quiz taken in a makeshift accommodation. Oh, no. I'm standing on the set, and I see how strong it is. The props are surprisingly precise. The machine rotating the stage has been around even longer. The farthest galaxies have been turned on. Oh, no, there's no question. This must be the premiere. And whatever I do will become forever what I've done. This life... It's just upon us before we know it. Which is why Jesus Christ came into the world to guide us, to show us, to reveal to us, to to point to things, to give us chances to do over and do differently. But to state the obvious, Jesus is no longer physically here with us. And on this Sunday after Easter, we talk about him being ascended into heaven, moving from this realm unto the next. 
Someone pointed out that the disciples who couldn't see this event were later diagnosed as having ascension deficit disorder. But he's gone. Which means we're home alone. Party. Home alone. Except, remember when Adam and Eve were alone in the Garden of Eden? The serpent came, asked a question, planted a seed of doubt, offered a temptation, and everything was derailed. They were home alone. You see, it's one thing to be good when the authority or when the apparent is also home and watching. You know that studies, sociological studies, have shown that people act differently when they know they're being watched, right? Which is, of course, why we're now talking about putting body cameras on police officers all around the country. It's one thing to be good when the parent's home and watching. It's another thing to choose to be good even when the parent is out of sight. Do you know what I'm talking about? At some point, the parent has to leave for the child to assume life, to to do life. The, the, The parent has to leave. Ask Prince Charles, who at age 66 still hasn't ascended to be his uh, role as king of England because poor Elizabeth won't ascend into heaven. But uh, parents have to leave. You have to leave your kid at kindergarten or on a sports team or at college. Or At some point, the parent has to leave. Jesus told a parable one time about a servant who was forgiven this large sum of, of money owed to his master. Large millions of dollars forgiven. But on his way home, assuming that he was going home alone, he encounters another man who owes him a small debt. And he says to him, you pay me. Unless you pay me now, you'll go to prison. He thought he was home alone. But he wasn't. The master was watching. Here's a guy that doesn't get what life can be. Here's a guy who is trying to play by the rules rather than playing by love. Here's a guy who's oriented to rule keeping rather than being oriented to love joining. Rule keeping versus love joining. Rules are about fear. It's about trying to stay within the the boundaries in order to avoid consequences or punishment. It's, It's a way of trying to live your life looking for the loophole, for you really don't want to do what the rules require you to do. And so you find, you try to find ways to get out of the rules. This is what the bulk of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave addresses. Not living by rules, but living by this higher way, this higher truth, this higher life. Love, Jesus says, chooses this selfless, empathetic way that gets into the flow of what God is. God is about harmony and unity and healing and love. Jesus prays that we may be one as God and Jesus are one. It's a choice. A choice. 
but we really can't choose to love if daddy's still hovering in the shadows. And so Jesus leaves this earth in bodily form. For this is a key part of what it means for you and me to be human. What will we do with our aloneness when we think we're basically unsupervised? And so Jesus tells a number of parables that speak to this very issue. He tells the story about the, par- the, the parable about the, the tenants, the, the workers who were left home alone with the vineyard. You go, you tend, I'm going away, said the owner, and when I come back, we'll settle up. But while the owner is away, the people uh, disabuse the, uh, uh, the land. Another story of uh, an owner who gives three of his workers uh, money to uh, steward while they're away, while he's away. Some, one gets five, one gets two, one gets one. What will you do when you're alone? How will you live? Who will you be? He tells another parable about ten bridesmaids who are to be ready. They're each on their own to prepare for when the groom arrives. Five are wise, five are foolish. He tells another parable about a son who's not left home alone, but goes alone away from home, taking half of his father's inheritance. Who will you be when you're alone It's a scary prospect. So that when Jesus begins this passage in the Gospel of John, in chapter 14, he says to them, you know the way I'm going. And Thomas, the honest one, says, just a minute. We don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. You can hear his anxiety. How are we going to be if you leave us and we're here alone. And so in this prayer that Jesus offers on our behalf, frankly, he kind of makes matters worse. He says, those who follow me, those who have my word, which is this word of truth, those who follow me are going to be hated by the world, hated by the world. We're going to be out of sync with this world of competition and greed and power and fear and all that distracts. In the passage Carol read from Ephesians, Paul talks about Jesus being on this different plane. It's not the same plane that the world's on. He's high above all rulers and authorities and powers and every name in this world. Why? Because his way is different. This one who said, I am the way, provides a way that is different. So call it a warning from Jesus that to be one of his followers, really, to be a bearer of his word, which is the truth about life, is to be hated by everything that is popular and successful in what we might call the world. Now let me be clear here, because there's two understandings of the word world in the Gospels. On the one hand, John tells us God so loved the world, this creation that we're part of, humanity and all this 
this beauty that we're given. God so loves everything that's sacred about this world, so passionate that God gives Jesus the Son. But there's a second definition of the word world, and that is the world as it turns away from God's design, God's harmony, God's unity, and becomes the world as you and I live in it now. In many ways, it's, it's similar to how some of us feel about our own country, the United States. We absolutely love our country. We love our ideals. We love the notion of liberty and equality, all of the high values that we hold together that our flag represents. But this country that we live in that focuses on deflate gate, what Tom Brady did or didn't do with a football, that focuses on gotcha politics while ignoring or forgetting or just getting bored with questions about why did Baltimore happen the way it did? That, that somehow already has no interest in seeing what's going on in Nepal following the earthquakes that doesn't have time in a newscast to ask questions about Myanmar or about all the refugees who are dying every day just trying to get to a place of freedom, this high value that we have. What, what is this country we live in? This world will not welcome the word of truth. It will squelch it. I've been reading, I quoted last week from this Sue Monk Kid novel called The Invention of Wings, set in early 19th century Charleston, South Carolina. It tells the story of two women, Sarah, who's the daughter of a prominent judge, a, a white woman, and another young woman named Handful, who is a slave girl. Sarah has been given Handful as her slave, although she rejects slavery and the entire institution. She has seen the cruelty that happens to slaves who are being disciplined. And it just renders her horrified and paralyzed. So much so that it affects her speech. Her words won't come forth. She, she develops a stutter and even a paralysis of being able to talk. Because every time she talks about her views on slavery, she is shamed, she is shunned, she is silenced. And so her words just won't come. She's stuck. This is a world many of us find ourselves living in. A world that's gone amiss from God's way and truth and life. But just about the time this Ascension Sunday idea, this idea of Jesus leaving us, seems like a really bad idea. When maybe we're just about ready to get up a petition to, to appeal to God, to send him back down here so that we'll know what to do, Jesus suggests that really his leaving is in reality his coming back and abiding with us in an entirely different way that there can exist a oneness a unity 
so that even if we feel home alone, the reality is we're home alone together with Christ, who is deeply, mystically, spiritually within us, guiding us, leading us, showing us, challenging us, making us feel convicted about one thing and drawn to another thing. He's here. This dualistic notion that Jesus is either here or there or with us or not with us is one way of looking at it. But the biblical story suggests that if God is Trinity, if God is love as a verb, and if Jesus is this love made flesh, and if the Spirit is the mystical energy of this love that's with us, then we may be alone, but we're not alone. He may not be here with us bodily. But he is with us always, awakening in us this this presence, this power, this protection, and this peace, this peace, which our friends in AA suggest to us, allows us to be unattached to the outcome. Unattached to the outcome. Martin Luther, one of the Characters in our stained glass window. Leader of the Protestant Reformation wrote a hymn, A mighty fortress is our God. In it he says, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. Julian of Norwich said, all shall be well. All shall be well and all manner of thing shall be well. It's, It's God with us, in us. In the invention of wings, Sarah is introduced to this this Quaker practice of listening for the voice of God. Sitting silently and listening for the voice of God. Like many of us who have tried it, she tried and failed. Her mind wandered one way and another. Monkey mind, they call it. You know the feeling of trying to pray and listen and your mind goes here and there. She says, I'd given up on the voice. And it was then that my mind stopped racing. And I felt like I was floating on a quiet stream. Go north. She heard this voice. It dropped like a dark, beautiful stone. It wasn't a common thought. It was distinct and shimmering and dense with God. Two words. Go north. She couldn't go north. A daughter of the south? Unmarried? She can't live unprotected in a foreign place. She would, she would live with her mother. She would live with her sister. She would live with her brother. She wouldn't just break from everything and everyone she knew and loved and throw over her life and their life and their reputation and their family name. It would be a scandal. She remembered the slave, her friend, by the name of Handful, who had made this observation one time to Sarah. Handful said, My body is a slave, but not in my mind. But with you, Sarah, it's the other way around. 
Sarah wonders, how can one know the voice is God's? I believe it was God's voice, though perhaps what I was really hearing was my own impulse to freedom. Perhaps it was my own voice. Then she asks, does it matter? Or I would ask, are they necessarily different? At that point when you are united with Christ, when the oneness is there, is it possible that where your voice ends and God's voice begins can be hardly discernible? The passion you feel, the love you feel, the conviction you feel is deeply within you the sacred voice of God inviting you always, come, follow me. I realize that being left here home alone is not punishment or divine indifference, but rather it is the very way of God. So on this Ascension Sunday, we give thanks to God for making this Christ so portable so personal, not private, but personal, so powerful and so present with us. It changes the equation. I have a little poem that I memorized some years ago, and as I hear it on this Ascension Sunday, I hear it with a different set of ears. It was simply said this, in the midst of tenebrae or darkness, I cried, you are light, shine in this dreadful darkness. And the word came back, not as echo, but as reply. You are light, shine in this dreadful darkness. For Christ is with you and in you. And so, alone together with God, We, we become the reflected light of Christ in this darkness. To the glory of God now and always. Amen. Let's pray together and let's give ourselves a moment to be silent before God and to listen for the voice deep within. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And whether your voice seems distant and foreign or whether it feels as familiar as our own voice and breath, may we be given, along with your word of truth, the courage to speak it with our very lives. 
you who are ascended into heaven, you who are present with us now, speak to your people. In the name of the living word, we pray. Amen.